0: Good morning, everyone, everywhere. This is Tavo, Dr. Tavo DRC, the apostolic founder and leader of this ministry. And we're here today to address part three of the nameless, faceless move of God out in the grassroots, out where real-life relationships, rubber, and respect meet the proverbial high road, equal opportunity, real respect road or the disrespectful, demeaning road. So we're here today that, you know, when somebody, a new person visits your fellowship, your ministry, your Bible group, your little group that you have going anywhere, they're gonna get first impressions and they're gonna perceive and discern in their emotions, spiritual realm your attitude, and your views toward them. You don't have to say anything, but if you're biased and bigoted, and they've already experienced that, they've been through a life of accusation based on their race, their look, their appearance, their gender, their choices, their beliefs, then they're going to know it because people have an inward Geiger counter, so to speak, GPS that will let them know if they're respected or not. And to me, after being out in the high and mighty, restless moves of God out in the deep, deep south, other than where I am now, I find that, you know, because of I guess mass quantities of people herding them, sheep herding them there, here to get them in order, to figure out where everybody belongs and fits, that eventually you can get hard hearted in ministry, in leadership, callous, and not discerning. You know, I'm getting a fog under these glasses with all this, so I'm going to pull it down. <laughs> it's hot broadcasting under all this. <laughs> We're trying to make our, illustrate our point. So my thought is, when you deal with uh, people, many of the people, some are credible, some are not, inevitably, inevitably you'll meet people who are true and false, Christians and non Christians, people say they're Christian and a minister that aren't, and people that really are that don't look the type. You have to be on your toes spiritually to interperceive with God's help, to take it with a grain of salt, but also to now assess rather than stereotype religious ministry, fast forward, let's get them out of here, move them on, move them, move them, move them, keep those doggies moving, which is how it feels to say yeah they look like a certain gender so they automatically go here or yeah we know that kind we've seen 10,000 before so they go in that kind of you know group and we only want a certain kind in our filter let's say white males 20s and 30s red state so you have to know and this isn't everywhere it's not for everybody and it's really not it may be logical but it's not god's spirit of government I like to point everybody back for this what I call, I named the relationship move of God, abiding in James 3.17, real respect, equal opportunity, real respect for the office of the human made in God's image from the greatest and grandest to the least of these. It's because we're all equal opportunity made cherished and valuable by our Father God, the Eternal Father, who put us in our tailor-made handcrafted earth suits for our mission for such a time as this whether you're a christian or not so when i was out (laughs) back in the deep south learning its ways in christian ministry leadership and i had never been around i guess you'd say bossy stereotyping or this fast forward you know size you up move you on you're not our kind pre-qualifying to pre-qualifying to be accepted in the beloved Ephesians 1-6. And I thought, wow, there for the grace of God did I grow up by with good dad and mom who are pastors, happy family Christians who are so cross-racial and so respectful and genuine. I would never stereotype anybody. Stereotyping, just like Phariseeism, is based on errant thinking and it is based on accusation. Seeing somebody as a stereotype means that you're really pre-filtering them for your sake and that you're doing it, you know, if you think it's for God's good, but down deep it may be to make your life easier, move your ministry along faster, your business or whatever. So we're not saying everybody does it. There are there are types, general types, but when you get it into this I don't know, performance or this formula we only want, I was in places, because see, my father raised me and my sister uh, just to be ourselves. So I have a human's ministry, a human quality that is like, oh, I'll minister whatever God wants me to do, not do. That's all I want to do. I don't have any agenda. I don't have any secret agenda. never have. I don't have any need to be over everybody, or I don't have any need to be a women's liver, because I was raised free to do whatever God wants by my pastor dad and my mom and my mom was a bit controlling so i learned i didn't want to be like that but that is then and then i went through my life until these doctrines moved in the respecter of persons doctrines big eyes little use used to control people back in the i guess you'd say late 80s early 90s many and prophetic the shepherding which I call whelp Western European Levitical Patriarchism and Matriarchism, having to know everybody's business, who they're under, are they submitted, spreading accusation and Pharisee gossip based on appearance, but never one-to-one relationship, mature, healthy relationship, such as Galatians 6:1, Matthew 18:15 through 17, and in my former state, not Texas, but before that, I found out. That you can be in a general area of the population. I was in ministry dealing with black and white reconciliation, urban and suburban ministries, repenting before the Lord and pastors and lay, you know, pastors. And I was um, technically back then, I'm now a pastor, you know, shepherd, but not an overseer, controlling shepherd. But I was with the nonprofits at the time my ministry in the late 80s started under a nonprofit, and i was with the parachurch to me parachurch is just some western european thinking business jesus christ can have you in business he can have you in ministry and they could be the same to him you just don't have an official title or call it that because there's so many rules now anyway that was a little aside so back then there was this I was invited to pastor's meetings continually and it was then I noticed there was no accusation for many years. And I think Wellington Boone, it was the ones Wellington Boone started and I was invited to help pre-pray it in back then in Richmond. And then that was so amazing, so humble, people genuine. It really changed my life forever and marked me in a healthy way to always want to keep this going. And that's why I think I find in... uh, deep South North Carolina, South Carolina, that attitude, the general heart attitude of ministry is so quality that prophetic ministry is nice. It's needed to really get the ball rolling for the Lord's sake. So anyway, there we were. And then all of a sudden, after 10 years of joy, nobody minded my business. Nobody needed to know who I was over and under. And then also the TV ministries started to get famous on TV. Christian TV became to have more pronounced effect. Also the glossy charismatic magazine where everybody started to have the fad, at least the grassroots where I was, used to be. The fad was to get your conference, have a glossy magazine presence to advertise you in the famous charismatic magazine. And that started this, what I believe... And submit was like a peer pressure, an underlying current that that's what God wants you to do. You must do it because it's the way God is using. You know, the thinking is innocent usually. But then it became more and more like fame and putting people up on a big name basis and not. And I had an office back then. I really had a presence in an office with helpers, a staff of two. And so we tried. We felt we were supposed to have a conference, inner city conference and we prayed and we got our jpeg our glossy picture to put in the magazine for twelve hundred dollars which is a huge amount back then but when i in hindsight we were naive you know we were just like many all the people of the day great and small we were just stumbling along trying to think we want to do god's work our call is to be national to you know let jesus name be known through us and our ministry and to speak nationally and whatever And you do what you think you're supposed to do. So your heart can be right. And the method isn't a sin. But then you can see, you know, there's a lot of this stuff that is haunting us today in the big name, big eye, which I talk about. And this doesn't mean all these people are Nicolaitans controlling the people. But the need to be famous plus Hollywood media started about that time. Right now, it's gone through the opposite in the last... 30 years, thank God. There's the backlash from the power look and all that to the low key, down to earth, which is me. That's my style. We're not saying it's a sin. We're not accusing, but I'm assessing the doctrinal, the fruit of this on America at the grassroots where my ministry has always been in the general run of the, you know, run of the mill, everyday person, coffee shop leadership, Bible studies, all those types of things. And I'm getting ready to have an office presence down in Rock Hill, South Carolina, even though our ministry, I'm called to a region, usually a region to know what the spirit is saying and doing up through Charlotte and let people if they need a good church, I'll recommend them. If they need a few good people, I'll try to con- you know connect them, but also my M sent as an apostle, one of Jesus' apostles, servant leader apostles, with a lowercase a, to be on board with the community for this move of God, for the work that to be done. You know, it's nameless and faceless in a positive sense, I hope. You can have renown. People know you. you got to have somebody out there that you know to refer them to. But it's not celebrity. It's not accusing. It's not all Caucasian. That's another thing. In 2000 right it before covid i was standing in texas in my living room or somewhere like that just a casual getting up moment walking across the room and all of I heard the lord say tell them i'm not as tell them that i'm a lot browner than they think i am and i had to laugh i thought god said to tell them so i'm telling you that he's a lot browner than they than you think he is And I looked, and I thought, you're right. Look at all the dark-skinned, tan-skinned, brown-skinned people, black-skinned people around the world. How many are there? He must love them. (laughs) So I had a lot of African-American friends during the years, ministry, even um, good role models, as well as board members. Some of them, you know, departed with the Lord. And I've had compliments because, for some reason, my spirit, something God has given me is the energy of the African or the black pastor I don't know at times even though I can be low-key servant leader you know whatever is needed I can shift over to do that that energy the high energy so I had two people in my life compliment me that were black and one was in college I was working at the power company in Virginia Vepco at the time and I worked with an African American and I was a call in college so is he and so he was miserable the young man was miserable and he was miserable because he was said like poor me, I'm black, all this stuff, and I was like, wow, he's just a great gentleman. He was nice, talk friend to talk to. He looked very responsible. So we talked and chatted, you know, just were amiable friends when we were at work, just work friends. And at the end of the summer, he said, Tavo, I want to say thank you, and he said, you know, a person with freckles is the next best thing to a black person. And I went, wow, I'm complimented. <laughs> he even sent me a wedding gift later. That was so nice. He made a pot, a pottery is a potter. Then the other person, later on, decades later in ministry, Dr. Johnny Jones of Keisha Ministries, now with up with the Lord, was a very close confidant, had four earned you know, degrees, PhDs. But the issue is that one day we would go, we, would, we met at Citywide Prayer or these um, you know sessions of urban-suburban, and it was just like a friend, a very good friend. And so he even flew out to Texas one time before he passed to meet with my other board member and me. That was a great thing to see him. He was, I think he, what I would say, he was a no-guile leader. I'm looking for no guile leaders. It's hard to find. Harder and harder to find a no guile leader. You know, many want to possess you or to covet your use your gift or I don't know what it is. They need to be pleased. They need to be bowed down to. This is no guile. Like my dad was a no guile pastor, a no guile minister, and so we honor them. So, hey, Dr. Jones and I would go. We were not anything but ministry buddies and so when it was right we would go uh, I'll meet you here we'll go to this meeting together and so when he drove to Washington DC for a meeting from Richmond so we gathered you know I met him in his car and we drove and came back and on the way back as I got out of the car Dr. Jones said I'll never forget he said as I left he said got your back black and I went wow I feel so honored amazing So I've had some really unique encounters, some really fun encounters, some really respectful. I mean, just like, hey, when you put on Christ, it's not black or white because of your earth suit. It's not. I think we need to think green. Green for opportunity, growing, thriving, and all getting along. So we need to spread that word about the community. But I had a lot of great people, good people, humble people, males and females of all colors and shades come through my life since I was a born-again Christian, so I thank you. So when I shift from the East Coast (laughs) and I think, oh, I've just been, you know, I had some Phariseeism, accusation, I wrote Ode to Whelp due to that because I keep meeting. When God said to me, He said, Start, I want you to start studying my body of Christ, believe the Bible, all the colors, styles, their beliefs, their pet peeves, their worship. And then one day, and this is when I was 24, right at the beginning of all these charismatic primarily moves and work before big worship and all that. I said, that sounds interesting. So my life went on and one day at a time, one day in, one day out. If he said I went to go somewhere, I did. If he said not to go, I didn't. And I had a family and all that going on. So, when I was around town for many years, I did, after the moves came in from, I guess, deep south, there were 80s or 90s primarily, where it was like covering who's over who, I call it. The who over who doctrines, uh oh, we set our, a book came out. I happened to be there one night where the good worship was because I knew the worship leader. And I, there was this book by Seek Peter Wagner that was read. And it was from the pulpit and the person said, his highness, <laughs> I mean, the past, the prophet said, there's this book and it says that God sets up some apostles in the gates of the city to be over everybody else. And I thought, wow. I, how could God set up a human over to be over everybody? But that kind of doctrine came in. Whether C. Peter Wagner, who was an honorable person and a gentleman, meant it that way or not, I never read that book. But I heard it quoted, and I saw the fallout, the faith-filled, and the prophetic fallout of the people who gathered around that and now set themselves up as the as the God as the uh. Guardians of the area, keeping track and control, name, you know, slandering. And so I wrote Ode to Whelp due to that, because I'd met 31 people. God said, if you, He told me years ago, in ministry, I'm sending you as a prophet. Don't take it personally. However... If you see something happen once or twice, forget about it. If you see something happen three or more times, I want you to train on it. Well, this type of thing I saw beginning there, but it is everywhere. It went everywhere. So, Ode to Whelp is the fruit of what I incurred, uh, rec- had, have I had tossed, I I mean, nobody ever confronted me. That's why I teach so much on relationships, about the fear of the Lord, respecting other people, being honorable in ministry. Matthew eighteen fifteen, for example, if you think somebody's in sin, don't accuse them and gossip about them. Lie about them. Spread word, you know, evil. Ruin their, demean them with an evil report. Damage their reputation. Blackball them. Go see if it's true. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17. Also, Galatians 6, 1. If you think... Somebody is a church hopper, big East Coast sin used to be. If they think they're out of order, not in submitted to their form of legalistic government, in the prophetic sense, not baptist not black people to my knowledge, or any other kind, it's a controlling doctrine. So I think that if you think that, if you believe it, to be honorable, you need to respect them and be value them enough to go confront them, have a chat, polite, one-to-one. So I've really seen a lot. And we want to make sure that when this move of God comes nameless, faceless, or otherwise, that we are not sitting in judgment as accuser Pharisees or legalists using God's name in vain. So that's why I got so feisty, and I never was this feisty and formidable until I got my doctrinal noboreean on down in the deep, deep South, because I, in the West, I had never been through, I'll be honest, I never got accused for my age before, I never accused by weight before, I never got accused by uh, gender before. Chauvinism, misogyny, time after time, not everywhere, and these were not evangelical, white evangelicals or dark, any dark-skinned persons. All it did after three to more times, after 55 to 70 times, I got on my doctrinal BYOB. Bring your own doc bring your own Bible and let's check out what's in the doctrinal bathwaters. And I realized because of the progressive achievement, earning it, and let's get our business beside going to bring in revenue and get our name known and got God's word out, that achieving, striving in most ministries, that it was not about a relationship with God or anybody else. It was about making progress. And then I realized that if it, if it I were, it was not any black person that did it or dark skinned person. But when I was, I was thinking, who does this to me? This kind does, this kind doesn't. It turned out they're all, what <laughs> Caucasian I thought if I'm I walk in and whatever's in me God has placed in me stirs up this whelp accusation she must be in rebellion because she looks like it but we've never talked to her that's prophetic she must be accused she's too old because she must be the stereotype we've seen you know like the you know in First Samuel accusing Hannah on the front porch steps by her looks so there are many things that stirred me to think, if this is what white, you know, now black people or Asians or you know Hispanic, they have their own deal, but I'm talking to the white ones. Alright, so I go in and I think, if they have to pre-qualify me, and they advertise this is Jesus' house, and they're pre-qualifying me to accept me into Beloved in their ministry, why do I need that? That's just... I'm here to serve. I'm here to be spoken with and respected and valued. And it made me think how does racism feel? That's all I could think. I'm white, they're white, but it's a spirit. It is a spirit. It's not because of them. It is a demonic spirit that accuses, character assassinates. It's violent. I've been jumped. I've been without I've been gossiped and maligned about, even tossed out one time in the t- 2003 in Virginia. for sitting there you know people think well she